Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servants fell down and pleaded with him. His fellow servant played, fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word and how these words, as we study them, we find that your words actually study us and search us out. Um, But not only to expose our, our sinfulness, but also to teach us about your great love. And so we pray for your spirit now to be our teacher. And I pray for each individual life here that you would translate my words that they might apply into each individual life that's so distinct and uh, uh, so unique. Each situation is unique. And so we pray for you to come among us and um, give us minds to understand and, and open hearts to hear what you have to say to us, Lord. And we ask this in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Uh, So we're going to be talking this morning about the spiritual discipline of forgiveness. Which, you know, forgiveness I think we generally think of as as something that you kind of do as an individual. It's an emotional process that you kind of work through individually, which it is that. But actually in the Bible, forgiveness, the formation of forgiveness is something that happens in a community. It it happens with other people. It's it's kind of a way of doing life together. And so it's, it's not so much an individual thing as, as a communal thing. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is answer the question, how do we become a community that is defined by forgiveness and grace? And we're going to answer that question by looking at these words from our Lord, uh, in particular under these three headings, that forgiveness is a lifestyle. Second, that forgiveness comes from the gospel And third, that forgiveness is essential to our witness to the world. 
Okay, so three things that we're going to learn from Jesus this morning about forgiveness. It's a lifestyle, it comes from the gospel, and it's essential to our witness to the world. And this is the first. That forgiveness is a lifestyle. It is, it's a way of living. It's, it's, it's a, one of the things that actually defines, it's a de- defining quality of our relationships that we have as Christians. And um, you see that in Jesus' opening statement there, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, of course, I mentioned this last week, that what Jesus envisions what life is like as a Christian and in Christian relationships with other people is not that forgiveness and grace is something that you may periodically have to expend, you know, maybe seven times over the course of a lifetime. But he says, this is actually something you're repeatedly going to have to do. This is the actual thing that holds together the relationship. And of course, you know, anyone who's you know, been in a close relationship, you know, you know, a marriage or in a family with, uh, or, or co-workers, you know that forgiveness is grace. It's something you have to extend over and over. It's a whole lifestyle. It's a whole way of interacting with one another. And that's why uh, Jesus says that we have to do it over and over again. And I'll tell you, part of the reason that Jesus is so insistent upon this that you have to regularly be working through the practice of forgiveness is because he knows that we have a tendency to nurture bitterness in our hearts. That bitterness is, you know, it's a small little thing. Someone does something to you and it just irks you and it's like a little seed that's planted in your heart. And you can either, you know, snatch up the seed and throw it away or you can nurture the seed. And you can think about the wrong, and it's kind of like putting water on the seed or giving it sunlight and fertilizer, and you're saying, you know, I want that to grow. I want to feel that a little more. And, and so uh, that seed grows inside of us. And, you know, I, bitterness in that way is in some ways like a, a sexual temptation. You know, because one of the things that many of us don't realize about sexual temptation is, you know, when we're faced with sexual temptation, you think that the only way that you can overcome the sexual temptation is to give into it. That's the only way it goes away. But the reality is, if you just wait, sexual temptation eventually goes away. And it's just a matter of patience. But we think the only way it's going to go away is if I give into it, if I indulge it, right? But the Bible says, this is what James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And that's... uh, Bitterness against someone who's wronged you can either be resisted, it can be quickly forgiven and regularly forgiven, regularly dealt with and addressed, or it can be nurtured and it can grow and it can begin to control you and take you over. And, you know, you might ask the question, why would anyone nurture bitterness in their hearts? Why would we do that? And, you know, the reason is because bitterness actually gives you comfort. It is a relief. So, you know, when someone has hurt you, you, and you, you have to live with it. The way that we relieve ourselves of that hurt when someone's wronged us is by deflecting that hurt onto someone else. We either put it back on that person by being angry at them, and it gives us a, sense, a temporary sense of relief. And so, you know, for example, there's a, a Flannery O'Connor was a southern uh, novelist in the, uh, um, in the 20th century. And in her novel, Wise Blood, she describes one of her characters this way. She says, Enoch had an urgent need to insult somebody immediately. It was the only thing that could give his feelings even a temporary relief. 
insulting someone takes the pain that we feel inside and puts it on someone else so that they suffer instead of us. And so what a lifestyle forgiveness is actually an absorbing of the hurt that someone gives to us. And of course, that's what we learn in the cross, that the way that God forgives us is instead of putting the punishment for what we did on us, he takes it himself. Jesus absorbs it, and there has to be a pain. And that forgiveness, though, is saying, I'm not going to take the relief from that hurt, uh, and I'm going to wait for God to heal it. That's what forgiveness is is I'm not going to put it on other people. I won't give myself that temporary relief of bitterness because I know that bitterness is the anti-God state of heart. I'm training my heart in something that is not who God is. And, you know, let, let me just say that, you know, that's an important thing for many of us. If you've had someone wrong you, especially someone, you know, maybe a close friend who's betrayed you or parents who weren't there for you and there's a, there's loss in that. that there, and you should feel loss in that. It, you know, there's pain in that because that's not the way the world is supposed to be. But our tendency is, the way that we deal with that pain is to put that pain on someone else. And that's what gets dangerous. Now we're starting to nurture bitterness and it can begin to take over our hearts and lives. And, and so the first thing that Jesus is saying is that forgiveness has to be a lifestyle. It's something that is a regular part of our relationships and the ways we deal with one another in our own hearts. So the question is then, how do you develop a lifestyle that that defines your relationships and defines how you think and deal with your heart? And this is the second thing, is that forgiveness is the fruit of the gospel. Forgiveness comes from embracing and internalizing the good news of the gospel, that God is, the love that God has shown to us in Christ. And which means we have to answer a couple of things first. What is the gospel? And also, what does it mean to, uh, how do I know that I've embraced the gospel? So what is the gospel and how do I know I've embraced it? So first, what is the gospel? And you know, Jesus, I think this is one of the best places where he explains to us what the good news of the gospel, the main Christian message is in this parable. And he tells us a number of things about the gospel that you need to understand the gospel. First, that the Lord settles all of his accounts. That the Lord settles all of his accounts. Look at what it says, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Now, of course, the king is representing God in this, in this parable, and the king is gonna, has servants who serve him throughout, throughout his kingdom. And actually, the Bible says that what it means to be human, that God has made us, the thing that's most distinct about being a human is that you're made in the image of God. That means that your whole life, the reason you were created was to reflect to the world the very character of what God is like. And so that when someone meets you, when someone comes into your little sphere of, of influence, they are going to experience something of what God is like. And actually being in the image of God, the, the way Genesis talks about it, is that we're called to have dominion over the earth. And it's like we're these little sub-kings, like God is the king of the earth, and he has all these sub-kings that he's sprinkled throughout the earth, and you have this little piece of the earth that you walk around on, and, and that you bring God's rule and his reign into that earth. And so he's given you resources, he's given you life, he's given you personality, he's given you gifts, he's given you intellect, he's given you maybe finances and health, and all of these things he's given to you so that you could bring his rule into a little part of the earth. And 
what's going to happen is the king, as we're his servants, is going to come and there is going to be an accounting where we will have to give an account to him of all the things that have been entrusted to us and how did we manage them. Did we show the world what God's character was like or did we, you know, were we bitter and cruel and selfish and we actually lied to the world what God is like? And so the Lord is going to settle those accounts with everyone. Actually, in my just personal devotions, I was reading in 1 Corinthians 4 this week where Paul says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his commendation from God. And, you know, I know that for some of you, hearing about that the Bible says that God is a judge and that there's a final judgment coming and that he's going to bring wrath, you know, that you might think that's kind of an unpleasant thought. And I think that's okay to think that. But the reality is, of course God's a judge. Like, God's judgment says that your life has meaning. It says that all of your thoughts and your hearts and your relationships and the words you say and the actions you do are charged with a tremendous amount of meaning. So much meaning that God is going to go through all the billions of people that live in the the world right now and he's going to individually tell every story and give an assessment of it. And he's going to think about it. That says that all of our lives are deeply meaningful to God. And so the Lord will settle all of his accounts. But, you know, there's a second side to that that makes this point even more important because Jesus then says that not only that the Lord settles all his accounts, but that we have an unpayable debt. We have an unpayable debt to the Lord. And you see this here. Verse, I love how Jesus describes this. Verse 24. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents and since he could not pay his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made now here's this picture of a a guy who owes 10,000 talents and a talent is 20 years wage so this guy owes 200,000 years of work to this king. So he just tells us, you know, this guy, he's not some baker who, you know, misplaced the flour and he needs the payback. You know, he's got some small debt. Well, this is some guy who's actually been given responsibility over some portion of the king's kingdom and, you know, many of the king's assets, and he's squandered all of them. And now he's having to come before the king, and the king says, where's all the stuff that I've entrusted to you? And and he has to, he's going to have to owe it all. And there's no way that you're going to pay 200,000 years of work. I mean, it's basically like saying he has, you know, an infinite amount of debt. And it's impossible for him to pay it. And um, I think that one of the things that we have to relate to about this servant is that God has entrusted to, to us a tremendous amount. All of you have gifts. You have life, you have energy, you have intellect. And when we think about how much of our life has been devoted to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving your neighbor as yourself, you find out how much of God's gifts we've squandered. And it is a debt that we can't pay. And this is why Christians have insisted throughout history that there's only two ways to pay your debt. Either Jesus pays your debt for you on your behalf, or you will pay the full debt yourself in hell. That's what hell is. 
And, you know, I know that that's an unpleasant thought, but guess what? This is not my teaching that I made up. This is Jesus. Gentle Jesus is saying these words that we are going to have to pay the debts that we owe to God. And if you've never come to terms with that and taken that reality seriously, it's something you should probably think about. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? And what am I going to say when I stand before God and give an account for it? But the good news is that the third thing that the gospel tells us, not just that the Lord settles all his accounts and that we all have an unpayable debt, but the third thing is that the Lord completely forgives the debts of the humble. The Lord completely forgives the debts of the humble. This is amazing. Look at verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Which is amazing. You know, actually, if you compute this debt into you know, modern dollars, it's about $300 billion. He's like, I, I'm good for it, bro. Just give me some time and I'll come up with the $300 billion. I know, I got a plan. All right, I got a plan. I got a thing that I'm working on, I'm, you know, and you're not going to pay it. And so this is what happens. Verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And that key word there, out of pity for him, it's the Greek word, splagnitsumai, uh, which it's the word compassion. It shows up all the, uh, many times in the Gospels, talking about Jesus looking on people and having compassion on them. And actually, it's a word that talks about kind of your insides. You know when your heart kind of aches, it rips for someone, and you just feel your insides turning? It's saying that God has that towards us in our debt towards him. And so there's this interesting bringing together of that the Lord who settles all of his accounts is also the Lord whose hearts turn for the humble, who will come to him and say, I can't pay my debt. Forgive me. Be patient with me. And he completely forgives it. And so part of the question is, how does the Lord do that? How does he be someone who settles all of his accounts and you know, is forgiving and lets all the accounts go? And the key is that Jesus comes in our place. He lives the life that we should have lived. He didn't squander anything. He used everything that God had given to him to serve God in his kingdom, to love God and to love his neighbor. But then he also dies the death that we should have died. And so he's paying our full debt on the cross. Hell is poured out on Jesus in our place so that we don't have to bear it. And then we get this new beginning. It's like this guy, he, you know, he's, he gets a new life. Like, he's going to spend his whole life in servitude trying to pay off this debt, and all of a sudden it's free, and now there's new opportunities opened up for him. God does that for us. And he, gives, and he opens up a whole new life for us in Jesus. And this is what the gospel is. This is actually, you know, especially if you're here, and you would not say, you know, say I'm not a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? This is the heart of it. Is you've come to realize, I have an unpayable debt to the Lord. And yet, in Jesus, God forgives me that debt and sets me into a new life. That's what it means. And it totally transforms your life. But we have to ask a question for those of us who are Christians, or also if you're not a Christian, how do I know that I've embraced it? So that's what the gospel is, right? Is that the Lord settles all his accounts, we have an unpayable debt, and the Lord completely forgives the debts of the humble. How do I know that I've embraced that good news? Um, and I believe the answer to that, the way that you know that you have really embraced the gospel, 
is that you have started to love people in ways that you never would have before. And particularly in showing forgiveness and grace to others. Um, and, you know, the, in this parable, um, we have this man who's forgiven this enormous debt. And then, you know, it turns out he's a real sleazebag. And uh, look at verse 28, all right? This is what it says. But when that same servant went out, he, f- uh, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarii is about a day's wage. So this is, you know, this is about a third of a year's wage. So he just got forgiven 200,000 years wage. And this is a guy who has a third of a year. You know, it's not nothing, right? A third of a year's wage is, is a, there's some debt there. That would hurt to, you know, if someone owed you that. And, um, but it's far smaller than what's been forgiven him. His fellow servant owed him 100 denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him. I love that picture. Is this guy like, and, uh, and saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. This is the exact same thing the man had said to the king. Another man comes and says to him, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, I do think that those, the key words in there, pay what you owe. The man is saying to his brother, you're going to pay me what you owe. I want to live in a world of justice. I want to live in a world where I get my rights, and my rights are that you owe me this, and I deserve it, so you give it to me. And, um, you know, that's often, when we get into modes of bitterness, is we think that certain things are owed to us, that we have a right to certain things, and so we feel a sense of injury or wrong when someone doesn't give them to us. And... um, What Jesus is saying is we have to be very careful if we're going to live a kind of life where we're demanding that people get what they deserve. Because the Bible says if you get what you deserve, you go to hell. You don't want to live in a world or a kingdom where people get what they deserve. You don't want to live in that world. You want to live in the kingdom um, where Jesus is coming and paying the debt in people's place. And that's now actually changing your life. And... um, And so let me just say this. How you know that you have really embraced the profound forgiveness that God has for us in Jesus is that you are now extending that grace to other people. Now some of you say, well, are you saying that if I I still struggle with bitterness or that I'm not a Christian or I haven't believed the gospel? No, that's not what I said. No, I was careful what I said. I said that you're starting to show grace in ways that you weren't before. You're changing and if it never comes that, you know, I never would have loved that person before. If you never can say something like that, then there's a problem. But if you can see, this is something that I cherish. I do believe in forgiveness. I love when people are gracious to me. And I'm thinking through in my relationships, how do I be gracious to others? And I'm, I'm wrestling with that question. Um, then that's a sign that the gospel has really taken root in you. This becomes the defining reality of your relationships. And another thing is when you say, well, what if I'm struggling with letting go of something. Someone's wronged me and I just can't let it go. What Jesus is saying here is the thing that we need to rehearse over and over again in our minds, that we need to hear again and again, is the debt that's been forgiven for us. That I had an unpayable debt and Jesus paid it for me. And that's why you come here on Sundays. What do you hear over and over again? You hear the gospel. You hear the good news. It's because we need to be reminded again and again and again and then it, and then it defines our relationships. And, um, and this is a really important point. 
My voice keeps cracking, I'm sorry. Um, this is a really important point. Um, Jesus comes down really hard on this. Look at verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I mean, these are hard words. And, you know, actually, when I was a younger Christian, um, I had just been married, and I went to this great church where I was discipled. I learned all about church life. I learned about what the Bible teaches and how to read the scriptures and how to be a part of a church. And the pastor there was just this sweeter, older guy. He's just heart of gold, tender. You know, he was a very kind of non-conflict. You know, he didn't like to say hard words to people. But there was this uh, fight that was going on in the church. Um, two families that were just that were hating each other, and it was just taking up tons of his time and distracting the whole church. And they were just they would not forgive one another. And I didn't even know any of this was going on. I was sitting in church one day, and he was preaching. It might have been this passage. And he said to the congregation, "If you do not forgive the people who've wronged you, you will go to hell." Unforgiveness is the heart of what hell is. And if you let that live inside of you, that is where you go. Jesus doesn't say this about a lot of things. But this is a serious matter that grace and forgiveness is something that we have to work through. Now, I, just, now I need to say one other thing. Some of you may hear what I just said and say, okay, th- I get how it works. If I'm a forgiving enough person, then I get to go to heaven. Wrong. That's really wrong. That's not how it works. That's not how this parable works. How does the parable work? The debt was forgiven first. God is gracious to you with all of your sin. He forgives your debt. But the indication that you've really come to embrace and believe that is that you can't help but show grace to other people in your life. You can't help but do it. And if, if that never happens, it's a sign that you haven't embraced this yet. Okay? So... Two things. Forgiveness is a lifestyle. It's something we're regularly doing. And second, that uh, forgiveness comes from believing in the gospel. It comes through, it's a fruit of the gospel. But there's another important thing in this passage. Um, is that Jesus also says that forgiveness is essential to our witness to the world. As we tell the world about who Jesus is, our grace towards one another and towards the people in our lives is essential to it. And you see there verse 31. Do you know, I don't know if you caught that. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And how Jesus pictures this is that the servant goes out and people are watching him. You know, people are watching, people are watching us. People are watching you in your workplace. You know, how are you easily offended? You know, when someone does something you don't like, do you stomp off, kind of, you know, making noise at them and, you know, glaring at them? Or do you easily, easily overlook offenses and you, you let it go? And, you know, and, and, and when people wrong you, you welcome back and say, hey, you know, and they ask for apologies, say, hey, no big deal. I love you. Thanks for saying something. Are, you know, are you easy to be along, get along with? Or are you always feeling like 
um, you're being wrong and injured and people aren't meet you, meeting your expectations. These kinds of things, people are watching us. And to work with someone, to live with someone who is gracious and forgiving is a huge breath of fresh air to most of the people in the world because the world is so harsh. And so... Um, The thing that attracts people to Christ is his grace. And Jesus intends that people will see that in our lives, that we've been people who've been shown grace, and so we show grace to others. Um, People are watching. And, you know, what Jesus is saying in this passage is actually forgiveness is how the kingdom expands. Because, uh, you know, the key verse in the whole passage is verse 33. Look at what it says. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? You see what the king's saying? Why did the king forgive the $300 billion? Well, the king wants to have a kingdom filled with forgiving and gracious people. And he says, how am I going to have a kingdom filled with forgiving and gracious people? Wow, i got a servant right here who owes me something. I'm going to forgive him. And when I forgive him this unimaginable debt, what is he going to do? He's going to go out into the kingdom and he's going to rub shoulders with all these other people and he's going to interact with them. And then all those interactions, they're going to be marked by grace and forgiveness because I forgave him. And that's what Jesus' intention with us is, is he's going to forgive us. And every week he comes here and he reminds us of his grace. And then we go out. And when people see that, they say, what is that? No one treats me that way. I want what you have. And that's Christ in us. I'll just tell you, you know, when I first became a Christian, I heard about that language of the kingdom of heaven in the Bible. You know, I always pictured like a castle in the sky and unicorns or something. I don't know what I was picturing. And, you know, kind of a fairy tale kind of thing. But what the Bible talks about, when it talks about the kingdom coming, the kingdom is the place where God's reign and rule is being respected and honored. And so what's happening is the way that the kingdom expands, this parable is saying, is that we are forgiven and then we go out into the world and we carry that forgiveness into relationships, into workplaces, into homes, into neighborhoods, and it it now becomes not just the defining quality of our relationships with each other, but the defining quality of the relationships we we have with people in in our communities. And then people say, I want what you have. And so, um, This is why, as a church, we focus on the gospel over and over again, because we need to hear it. That when Jesus says, you need to forgive your brother 70 times, seven times, we know he's forgiven us 70 times seven times seven times 70 times seven times. You know, he's forgiven us so many abundant times. And and now forgiveness and reconciliation are going to be the defining quality of our relationships with each other. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for the incredible good news of the gospel. That though our debt is so enormous of what we have squandered from what you've entrusted to us, that you have released us and forgiven the full debt. Lord, we are so grateful for your love that you have been patient with us. Help us now to go and be patient with each other their neighbors. And Lord, we also know that this can only happen by your Holy Spirit working in our hearts. And so we pray for you to send your Spirit among us to remind us of the gospel 
and also to work out and think through how the gospel shapes the many relationships that are represented through the people in this room. And would your kingdom of grace expand here in Bellingham? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.